Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Courtside Podcast. And we have a lot to talk about today, uh, specifically looking at, of course, the NBA playoffs. We had a team finally advancing the finals of the Golden State Warriors, and as well, the key all-NBA teams for this year came out a few days ago. And honestly, I've been digging up getting a special episode out during the week right after this happened. So if you're living under a rock, don't worry. I got all the context for that. And actually, you know what? Let's just jump right into that. For the NBA all-team, we got a couple of guys who made first appearances, including Devin Booker and Jason Tatum making the first team. And then a couple of guys that didn't make it for first team, but still second-team all-NBA. 30 all-team NBA. Let's start off right now with the third team here with Carl Anthony Towns from Minnesota, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Trey Young of Atlanta, and as well for the first time, Pascal Siakam from Toronto being on the first ever all-NBA team for in his career. And I have to say, for Toronto fans, this is probably a huge piece of the building blocks for that young core. Siakam finally gained the recognition that he deserves I believe that Siakam definitely being the all-star that he is at a young age is on that level where he has to elevate next year if he wants to continue this. But congrats on him being third-team All-NBA. However, really questionable about Trey Young. If you ask me, I think Trey Young is probably at least a top 10 player in the NBA. And see him third-team, I mean, most points in the regular season, most assists during the regular season a leader of the Atlanta squad that went through the play-in and everything like that, and one-on-one, one of the best point guards there are actively right now in the NBA. So I find really questionable that they'll have him there for third team. And then we go into the second team. Joel Embiid, John Morant, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and DeMar DeRozan. And if you're kind of confused, I am as well to see Joel Embiid there. And before I even go into the Joel Embiid snub of the first team let me go straight into the nba first team for the 2021-2022 season the first team for the nba Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker and Jason Tatum. Devin Booker and Jason Tatum for the first time in their careers make first team all nba and I have to say it's kind of where Devin Booker makes it because you kind of want to congratulate the Suns for getting 67 wins. Also, Devin, of course, nothing against him. Great year offensively. Jason Tatum, great player throughout this entire regular season as well here in the playoffs. Superstar status building up in his young career at the age of, I believe, 24. But at the same time, second team John Morant, second team Stephen Curry, second team Joel Embiid, and yeah, sure, don't get me wrong, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo was most likely to get first team All-NBA regardless of what happened during the playoffs. I mean, he actually ended up getting 100 votes for first team NBA. And believe it or not, the only player throughout this entire NBA season to even get 100 votes guaranteed for first team. Even the MVP, Jokic, 88 votes for first team. There was about 12 writers out there for this voting that wanted him second team. So it was very questionable right there. But but honestly, I honestly felt like, you know, of course, Joel got snubbed for this year, picking up Philadelphia. Most likely it was an MVP caliber year, which it was. That fell short to 
his injuries and, of course, coming back with a mask and a fractured skull to face off against a well-rounded Miami team. And to see him get second team to end off the year, I mean, it's a slap in the face for the city of Philadelphia. It is a slap in the face to see a guy like Joel Embiid, who everyone really thought it was his year to get the MVP, probably the best player on the court no matter where he was at. And he gets not only not past the second round, but not even first team All-NBA? I mean, that's bizarre. And yeah, sure, you have to go beat out, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jokic, who are both apparently beating you out in the MVP race. And now nine for NBA first team. I mean, Joel is better than Jason Tatum this year. Better than Devin Booker this year, despite Devin Booker's team obviously getting 6-7 wins, the best in the NBA for this year. But still, Joel and B not making first team, they have to switch it up. Throughout the entire 75 years of the NBA and, and whatever, how long they've been doing this all-NBA stuff for these awards, I mean, they've done it based on position. But at the same time, in today's NBA, positionless basketball is what we see on television 24-7. It's talked about on ESPN and NBC. It's shown on us on those broadcasts on TNT and ESPN throughout these entire playoffs. And let alone when we go to the games, I mean, you see it in person. Joel Embiid is not your regular center from what we've seen for the past 20 years. Giannis Antetokounmpo might as well play point guard. LeBron James, he's one through five. He played any position on the court. So if you're trying to tell me right now that Joel Embiid didn't make that first team just because of position, you're out of hand. You're way out of hand. I mean, you've got to put him in there. I mean, there's no question about that. Joel Embiid deserved that first team. John Morant, and again, I'm on that jaw bus, but John Morant as well, most improved player of the year, averaged about 27 to 28 points. Obviously, one of the main pieces for the Memphis Grizzlies going to the postseason and finishing off this regular season as the second seed in the West. How do you not even consider him first team NBA? I'm looking at the voting right now, and he only got 13 votes for first team. 13 votes for first team. Devin Booker had 82 for first team. And again, you know, Devin Booker, great year offensively. I felt like he's kind of sluggish on the defensive end. And honestly, you know, the Suns, do they work through him? It's more of a team balance type of Monty Williams structure over there in Phoenix. But at the same time, you know, I get it. Devin Booker is one of their main, you know, guys to be getting the ball into the net. But come on. I mean, this is absolutely bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. So if you ask me, Joel Embiid should have been there. John Morant should have been there. Kevin Durant, I mean, you're not really going to have, you know, the injury during the year and then. Yeah, they go face off again, position wise, against Doncic, who's been phenomenal at the age of 23, and then Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, again, as I said before, the way that they structured it, it made sense, besides like one or two positions. But come on, it's positionless basketball. We're in a new era of the NBA in the 75th year. Things will change, and especially in a league where it feels like it's been here forever. But in reality, there's a lot of people that have been still alive since day one of the NBA. So I'm just saying, they got to fix it. The fans are going to need it. Everyone's going to see it. I mean, this is probably going to be one of those things they should be at least looking at before even doing in, like in tournament season, like a in-season tournament. As ridiculous as that sounds, but I mean, they got to look at that before they do anything else. 
But just to summarize it again, All-NBA team for the first team, Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Booker, Tatum, and Booker and Tatum making it for the first time in their careers. And then second team, Embiid, Morant, Durant, Curry, and DeMar DeRozan, who I have to mind deserves this one more than anybody else out there, especially the fact that he was the only Chicago Bull to make any of the uh, top three teams. I'm kind of more surprised that Zach Levine wasn't a part of that conversation, at least part of the conversation. I don't know if he would be able to make it over some of the guys in third team, but at the same time, I mean, the Chicago Bulls, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine were probably the best backcourt duo for a couple of months. So you have to give him that. And then going from third team, Carlton Towns, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Trey Young, and taking the step forward, Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. Now that we got that out of the way, let's go straight into the remaining games of the Western Conference Finals. After Golden State ended up going 3-0 throughout three games, they go on, right? Get this. They go on to game four. 3-0 lead, looking real great. Mavericks offensively looked horrible throughout this entire series. The Mavericks ended up shooting lights out in Game 4. Flipped the script on the Golden State Warriors and Stephen Curry. As they won Game 4 at home, 119-109. to And this was a very odd game. There was like a leak in the roof. Mark Cuban kept on getting like the cameras right in his face. Because obviously, how do you not control a leak in the Western Conference Finals? Kind of weird. But at the same time, what was more weird was that Mavericks shooting was phenomenal. As I said before, they finished this game 119 to 109. This is coming off of Finney Smith, who's been absolutely horrible throughout this entire Western Conference final series, getting 23 points. And this is coming off of almost 70% shooting, to be precise, 69.2% from the field goal range, right? Four and seven from three. Reggie Bullock, who I remind you was 0 and 10 in game three. This game, game four, 18 points, and he was 60% from free throw. I mean, my apologies, from uh, the field goal. Luka Doncic, again, putting up big numbers, 30 points, 14 rebounds, only one assist away from a triple-double. And honestly, I haven't even seen a single triple-double throughout this entire playoffs out of Luka Doncic, which I'm kind of surprised about. Jalen Brunson put up his points as usual. This time, a little bit less than 20, got 15 in this one. However, shooting 5 of 12 from the field. So, not the best night for him. Then again, could be Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie ended off with 28.6% from the field goal, with only 10 points coming off the bench. However, Nikina, Bertans, Kleber, they decided to do something offensively. Nikina, 5 points, Bertans, 5 points, Kleber, with 8 rebounds, he had 13 points in this one. He shot about like 83.3% field goal. What? That's ridiculous. It was 2-3 and three from 3. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, especially from 3, were unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. So Dallas ends up blowing out through the water through 3 quarters in that game 4, shooting phenomenally throughout. However, Golden State gave a little bit of a scare in the remaining minutes of the 4th as they slowly creeped back to make the deficit only down by 10 after being down by as much as almost 23. So, in reality, a lot of people were saying, you know, they got a series now. You know, can Dallas bring it to a game six, possibly? Could they extend it? I mean, they have a better chance than the Miami Heat. That's what a lot of people were saying. However, going straight to game five, 
in Golden State at the Chase Center, there was no doubt in anybody's mind what Golden State was about to do. As Golden State, 120 to 110, take care of the Dallas Mavericks to finish off the Western Conference Finals and win throughout the West and make it to the NBA Finals for the sixth time out of the last eight years. A true dynasty out West. Golden State Warriors going out and winning this series in five games. And going into game five, we look at the stats early off. I mean, Golden State leading by five points in the first quarter. Then the second quarter comes in, and it was lights out. Absolutely lights out. Golden State scored 41 alone in that second quarter. And they end up not looking back, only tying it once in the beginning of the game. And then when they took the lead, they never let it go. As Golden State went on and just dominated that second quarter. And that's all they really needed. As Andrew Wiggins played 40 minutes in this one. And has been having this season of a lifetime. And well deserving of what we're seeing. An Andrew Wiggins story in the finals. That's going to be exciting to see. Andrew Wiggins in Game 5 had a double-double. 18 points with 10 rebounds. Klay Thompson, the real story right now. 32 points in this one to go back to the finals after missing it for the past three years due to injuries of the lower body that sidelined him through surgery and a whole season. He comes back in a huge way for this Warriors team. And mind you, 16 three attempts. He made eight of them. 50% from three. That's phenomenal. Stephen Curry wasn't phenomenal. As abnormal as that sounds, he went 2-7 and seven from the three-point arc. And ended up finishing with 15 points in this one. Nine assists, so he was still facilitating the ball, moving well. Draymond Green, nine assists as well with 17 points in this one. And Looney, it was like a Looney show midway. He had 10 points and 18 rebounds. He was phenomenal on the boards there. As well as the bench putting up their numbers. Jordan Poole was 16. Moody, seven points in this one. 100% from three and 6.7%. From field goal. So he was pretty damn accurate off the bench. And in reality, the Warriors just needed an eight-man rotation to finish off this Dallas team in five games. As Dallas in this one, I mean, of course, Doncic putting up his numbers. He got 28 and nine rebounds. But Finney Smith, 13 points. Again, shooting 60% from field goal. You're thinking, hey, you know, Bullock, 50% from field goal in this game. Hey, you know what? The guys that we needed to shoot shots, they're actually making shots again. We could win this one again. But Brunson, 30% from field goal range overall in the game. 0-2 from 3. I mean, he just looked off. Absolutely off. Played 30 minutes in this one. Only got himself 10 points. It wasn't even a part of the game, let alone. I didn't even see him really facilitate nothing. Let alone ball movement was kind of stagnant. And then you go to the bench. It's like Spencer Dinwiddie, 26 points. Phenomenal guy. Absolutely phenomenal. Went out to be 58.3% from the field goal range. And it's like 26 points off Dinwiddie. You look at the rest of the bench. They put up numbers here and there. Even Trey Burke, which haven't really gotten any minutes at all throughout this entire series, ended up having two points. But at the same time, you know, you score 110. You got to outscore the Warriors, let alone who went phenomenal with Klay Thompson going 32. Went phenomenal. With Draymond Green going double digits with 17. I mean, six guys off their eight-man rotation that the Warriors usually use. Six of them were scoring double digits. And a majority of them shooting 45% or better. The only player that wasn't doing better than that 
Stephen Curry. As weird as that sounds, I mean, Steve Kerr could take that any night. Guarantee any night. If the Golden State Warriors are shooting like this with their new renowned defense and this efficient youth that they found in this, I mean, I have to say probably their core is not even their bench, but the youth of their core. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised even to take the finals against either Miami or Boston. No doubt in my mind about that. And obviously, we have a game tonight, actually, between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, which will also go into that series ending off this episode. But to finish off this Western Conference Finals, the first ever Magic Johnson Award for the MVP of the Western Conference Finals goes to Stephen Curry, who was phenomenal throughout this entire postseason. And then as well, of course, battling a little bit through injury, slowly making it back to the starting roster, was still giving out 27, 25 points a game on the bench. So Stephen Curry getting the first ever Magic Johnson trophy in NBA history as the Western Conference Finals MVP and the Golden State Warriors through five games are going straight to the NBA Finals later on this June. And now going into the Miami series, because the last thing I'll say about the Warriors is that afterwards they went on that TNT show with Charles Barkley, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, Ernie Johnson, as well as Shaquille O'Neal. They're all out there outside of the Chase Center. And I mind you, even though, yeah, sure, you know, Draymond Green podcast, big vocal guy, but this was probably the most vocal standout point he made after the game. When asked, who do you think you want or who do you want to go against in the finals? Draymond Green said, you know, oh, Miami and Boston, two great teams defensively, all this and that. But at the end of it, he said, you know, we're, we're going to play Boston. We're going to play Boston. In the most confirming manner, mind you, he said that we're going to play Boston. And right now, the Boston Celtics have a chance to make it to their first ever NBA Finals in the past 12 years. That has been a decade since the Celtics made an NBA Finals. Their last one was in 2010, where they lost in seven games against the Los Angeles Lakers, who had Paul Gasol, Lamar Odom, as well, of course, Kobe Bryant. Um, and so far, what we've seen in these Western and Eastern Conference Finals, they've been straight blowouts. Game five, probably the closest we've ever seen any of these games out West or East for the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, as game five was in Miami. And of course, I had to do the drive again, of course, to see it. And this one, first half, worst offensive performance for any of the teams. Both teams in the first half shot below 40% overall from the field. It was like 42 to 37 with Miami leading by five. And that's like, I mean, we've seen either one of these teams score 40 in one of the quarters throughout the game, right? I mean, everybody was off. The Heat were off. The Celtics couldn't buy a basket past three. Uh, multiple of the Heat points came off a second chance, which ended up bringing them in, back into the game as Celtics tried to, like, you know, escape a little bit in the first quarter. And then not even at the first quarter score, 19-17 with Miami leading. I mean, that just tells you, none of the teams even broke 20 until we got into the second quarter. But going into that game, we looked at that entire horrible first half of offensive basketball, and then the Celtics had about enough of it. Jalen Brown, who was struggling throughout that entire first half, blew up in the second half. Boston starting off in the second half, third quarter. They scored 32 points. Miami only having 16 points 
in that quarter. And Boston Celtics blow out to close to a 17-point lead later on going into the basically, I think, midway through the fourth quarter. You go see Boston pressing up defensively. Derek White having a phenomenal game. He made a couple of floaters that I thought, wow, this guy's on the bench. But he comes up and have a phenomenal game. And Boston Celtics are now leading by 20. You got fans leaving the building with like nine minutes remaining in the game, even though Miami has obviously made a comeback before in like maybe scoring 22 points in like two minutes. So the Heat try to battle back. They battle back to make it a 13-point game. And then later on, it's like, the oxygens get sucked out of the building. A Jalen Brown slam sucks everything out of the building. And you'll probably find the highlights on Twitter or IG right now, but Jalen Brown goes MJ, ton out, slams it with the right hand. Celtics leading by more than 13. They go back and forth between Duncan Robinson making a couple of threes here and there, and the Celtics responding. But this game, the Celtics take a crucial game five in Miami, taking it 93-80 to 80 over the Miami Heat. And this was probably a depleted Miami Heat team throughout this game. Horrible offense to begin with, right? You go into the second half, and everyone's talking about Miami being this team that just blows up in the third or fourth quarter. And they just don't show. And yes, Tyler Hero wasn't in this game in, you know, second game missed because of his groin injury, which he suffered, I believe, around game three. But at the same time, I mean... Jimmy Butler was off. Gabe Vincent had shots. He was off. Max Struve had shots. He was off. Kyle Lowry coming into this series. Everyone said that Kyle, the quarterback, Kyle was going to be something different. Kyle Lowry has been the worst player for this Miami Heat team. And now a lot of people, I mean, they're saying Kyle Lowry might need to move on. You might need to move on from Kyle Lowry. I'm not too positive about that. Then again, Kyle Lowry is on the later years of his NBA career. So, it wouldn't be smart just because you just brought him in. It's like, what, it's only his first year, second year with the team. So it's too far too soon. And not even that, he made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. If Miami doesn't win this series, they still have to tell themselves, hey, we got far with this cast. No doubt in my mind. And we went through injuries. But at the same time, Kyle Lowry, starting majority of these games, coming back from an injury, zero points in the other one, got six points in here and there, then now back to zero points. He hasn't broken 10 plus points since game three, I believe. I mean, Kyle Lowry in game five, look, 0 and 6 overall from the field, right? He was 0 and 5 from three. He is hooking up shots on the wings, takes open looks from three right there between right him and the basket. And it's like, how do you miss that? All star player career dedicated with a ring in Toronto and you're trying to tell me you're supposed to be that guy for the Miami Heat starting point guard the quarterback the facilitator for that team and you can't make open shots when given when the team needs it you can't step up you got to step up if you're Kyle Lowry and honestly there's a lot of Heat fans are just frustrated from that I'm the only person that even had a decent game was Bam Adebayo and Gabe Vincent as usual Bam and Abayo on this one, 18 points, 10 rebounds. Got himself a double-double. That's a good That's good numbers on paper, right? 53.3% from the field goal. Right? Okay, so that, you know, more than 50%. But every single time he had the ball with him, and he was going against Grant Williams or Derek White or, hell, even Payne Pritchard. Even, actually, let me scratch that. Pritchard didn't even get a single minute in this game. But you know what I mean. 
Bam and Abayo throughout that entire game five had a lot of mismatches where it's like, man, go one-on-one on him, get the easy basket right there in the low post. He kept on passing it out. All the Heat fans were throwing themselves towards the crowd sides just to scream at Bam, take it, take it. He never took it, never took it. And for that, Miami Heat fans are really frustrated right now with this Miami team as they are now on pack watch as they could get eliminated now in TD Garden for Game 6 tonight at 8.30. Jimmy Butler throughout this entire series, I mean, he finished off Game 5, 13 points, 6 rebounds. Got two steals in this one. He was active defensively, but at the same time, couldn't buy a basket. Could not buy a basket. He was 4-18 overall in this game from shooting. And 1-5 from 3. And it's like there's a bunch of shots where Mike Breen t- says way off. And you're like, oh, that's pretty rare. He said way off to Jimmy Butler for maybe a handful of times in just a single possession alone. Jimmy Butler, air ball, side of the rim. He has not been that same player that we saw throughout the first two series in Miami. And can Miami fix this and actually, I mean continue this extend this series to seven games maybe even winning it out i'm not too positive i'm not too positive because you look at the bench production as well throughout these past two games where the boston celtics won two straight in this series and it's like duncan robinson has been locked down until like literally garbage time gabe vincent comes up with 15 points off the bench in game five but at the same time it's like you're only giving gabe vincent about 23 minutes in this game and Eric Spolstra looks like he's not going to be switching any bit of uh, starting lineups or rotations anytime soon, it looks like, at least, because he's announced he's going to stick with the same starting five of Butler, Bam, Tucker, Lowry, and Struess for Game 6. And Victor Oladipo as well. I mean, Victor was phenomenal in Game 3, and it's like, ever since that, we haven't seen much out of him. I mean, Game 5, you're thinking that Victor's going to be a huge piece with Lowry struggling, Struess struggling. That's not the case. Oladipo only had three points in this one. And half of them came from the free throw line. So, if that doesn't tell you the story, I don't know what does. A Miami Heat team who's been battling through injuries throughout this entire time looks outgassed, offensively cannot even get their jump shots straight because everyone's having a damn hamstring issue. And Eric Spolstra doesn't even want to change the rotations. So, in reality... This game six will be based on one thing and one thing only. Can the Boston Celtics beat the Boston Celtics? That's the only way you see this game six coming to be. If the Celtics don't give up too many turnovers, if they actually show up offensively as they, you know, even though they won by 13 in game five, they didn't really do much offensively as a team. Besides, of course, Jalen Brown, who showed up in that second half, who actually ended up with 25 points of that one. But if the Boston Celtics end up being a perfectionist, they will win that game six, no doubt. And honestly, whoever wins this series, it will basically come down to the storyline of the best defense is the best offense, and the best offense is the best defense. It's not a seesaw affair. It's one good part of the side of the basketball is going to contribute to another part of the basketball. There's no doubt about that. Jalen Brown in this one, right, as I said before in game five, 25 points. Jason Tatum, 22 points. Al Horford, 16 points, right? I mind you, Jalen Brown was less than 40% from field goal in the first half. He finished off the game 52.6% from field goal, going off of 10 of 19 for shooting. 
Jason Tatum, 7-20 for shooting in that game five. Right? Marcus Smart, 20% overall for field goal. Right? He was 1-5 in shooting in this game. Al Horford, 62.5 field goal percentage, was 5-8. and eight. What do I... What, I mean, where am I getting at right now with these numbers and these statistics? Specifically, if you have one guy missing shots, you got to get more out of the others, especially out of the Celtics starting five. If Jalen Brown's having a bad game, Tatum's got to step up and vice versa. If Al Horford can't shoot on corners, you got to bring in Grant Williams and he has to do something for you. If Marcus Smart is in foul trouble, which he was, for example, game five, Marcus Smart quickly getting four fouls in this one, and I'll be having two fouls and it's subbing out for Derek White, who has been phenomenal throughout his entire playoffs and has been literally a supporting cast to my argument. That guy subbing out needs to be replaced with a guy subbing in, giving out the exact same production. Derek White in game five, 14 points. There's a bunch of people that talked about Marcus Smart coming back for these games and saying, oh, you know, that that's going to be a huge piece for their offense. And I mean, yeah, sure, he's a facilitator and all that stuff. But I mean, Derek White has stepped up in another level. The Derek White trade in, the, in like basically with the Dennis Schroeder and and the whole Jason Richardson and, and the moving pieces of Daniel Tice and all that, the entire Celtics trade deadline of Brad Stevens in his first year as president has been probably the most underrated front office move of the NBA year. Without Derek White, this Celtic team does not have much of a chance to make it to a game six with a chance of going to the finals. There is no doubt in my mind. And with Daniel Tice, who has been probably the worst team for the Boston Celtics throughout this entire Eastern Conference Finals, hey, at least you got a backup for Robert Williams, who's been out for multiple times this series, let alone this postseason. And as well, I mean, shoot. You move a lot of cap space, right? Derek White's there. You might have to re-sign him later on. And then not even that, I mean, the team is efficient now. You got shooters out there that can pick up for guys who are not doing so well offensively. So the Celtics, the only team to beat them is the Celtics. So you got to be efficient. You got to make sure offensively you're doing the right thing. And the defense will contribute to the offense for either side. But the real question is, what is the injury report looking like right now? I mean, throughout this entire series, both Miami and Boston have been having their main guys who have been, you know, dealing with ha either hamstring, knee injury, ankle injury. They've all been questionable until the last 30 minutes or like the last hour of the tip-off, which is insane because like how the hell do you deal with that, especially as a roster? You know, I mean, both of these teams are limping to the finish line, but whoever makes it, it could be tonight or it could be on Sunday. They'll face off against the Golden State Warriors in the finals later on on June 2nd. And that will conclude this podcast for today. Feel free to tune in later on. I might be having maybe a little bit of a talk of Western Conference Finals versus Eastern Conference Finals champions in the finals. Maybe a finals preview depending if the Celtics win today or they win Sunday or if the Heat end up winning today and then going off to Sunday to win it. So look out for that on the next few days of the episode as we will be back Monday and we'll talk to you guys later.